to invite you, if you've got your copy of God's Word, to open it up, or if you've got an app or smart device, turn it on, and turn with me to the book of Numbers. That's in your Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the book of Numbers. We'll be looking at uh, specifically two chapters from the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 14. And I want to spend a few minutes sharing with you a message that I have titled, Faith Versus Fear. Of course, as we read this story in just a little while, it's going to sound familiar to some of you. Some of us, if you, if you grew up in Sunday school and church, you probably have heard this story from time to time about Joshua and Caleb and the other ten spies that don't get named because they didn't do that good a job at their spying and faith. And uh, you, you probably are familiar somewhat with that story as a child growing up. But it is a story, that uh, narrative, that is good for us as adults to hear today and every day. Because, well, I think I could just sum it up by saying 2020, right? You all would know what I mean when I, when I just offer those couple of words, is that uh, uh, we have dealt with everything from pandemics to 14,000 hurricanes that have come our way to more pandemics that have popped up that are not, they're still the same, but they just pop up again. And uh, I mean, just to think, it was Tuesday that we had election. Does that not seem like three months ago? And just uh, the whirlwind of things that we have gone through in our personal and collective lives. Well, you're going to live your life from one of two places. You'll live it from a place of fear or you'll live it from a place of faith. When you're faced with things like pandemics, when you're faced with things like uh, uh, some unrest in our culture, when you're faced with things like a political system that, that can be frustrating and scary and, and you don't really know what's going to happen or where it's, when it's going to happen, you can respond to those things in faith or you can respond with fear. Well, we're going to see a case study of that today from the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers, the events that are in that book occur shortly after the exodus of God's people. You remember that God's people had been enslaved for 400 years. The children of Israel had been enslaved in the land of Egypt, and God was leading them out. And as they set out on that journey toward their freedom, they face an obstacle, the Red Sea. And God shows His grace, and God shows His mercy, and God shows His commitment to His people by pushing the waters of that Red Sea into a wall to the right and a wall to the left so as people can walk through on dry ground. And after they walk through on dry ground, their enemies begin and continue rather to pursue them. And God closes up that Red Sea to destroy their enemies. And now after 400 years of slavery, the people are finally free. Now, the book of Numbers opens up on this high note. This is uh, around the beginning of year two of life post-Exodus. Moses, their leader, has been given the task of numbering the people, assigning them certain duties and certain responsibilities, organizing them for this journey to the land God has promised them. And as he makes that journey, his job is to continually point them to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. 
The first 10 chapters are full of excitement. Things seem to be going pretty well. In fact, they set up a tabernacle in the middle of their camp to display their commitment to God and for God to remind them that He is with them, that He would always guide them during the day they were led by God by this, uh, by this cloud, and at night they were led by God by this great pillar of fire. We get to number Numbers chapter 11, Numbers chapter 12, and the scene begins to shift somewhat. Things begin to change. The Baptists show up because the people start complaining. (laughs) They formed a grievance committee, and they begin to complain to Moses. And it's not just the folks on the fringes that are complaining. It's the people who are close to Moses. It is his inner circle. It's even his family. Chapter 12 is all about Miriam and Aaron and their complaint against Moses. And the final leg of their journey is set to commence, and that is where we pick up in Numbers chapter 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, that's the land God promised, which I'm giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. Now I want you for time's sake to skip down to verse 17. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and he said to them, Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land, because if they bring big fruit, a lot of fruit, it's uh, an indication that the land is going to be very prosperous. Now look down a couple of verses to verse 23. They came to the valley of Eshcol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes, and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. Notice when you go to Walmart or Winn-Dixie or Publix or wherever to buy your grapes, you just get a cluster. The, this cluster of grapes that you fit in your buggy, their cluster of grapes was so big, it took a two-man team with a large pole to haul that thing out. Yes, indeed, this is a good land that God is leading them to. And so here comes their report in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all of the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. It is a good land. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country, 
and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. The people had hope that they would soon enjoy a season of prosperity, but most of the spy crew delivered news that was exactly the opposite. And look at what their report does to them. That's Numbers 14 opens by telling us this. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Look at the difference in that. In one moment they're saying this is the land that's got great, uh, great fruit. This is the land that God has promised. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. But no, we can't go do that. Even though God told us that's what we should do, even though God promised that's what he would do, we can't go. We're we're going to respond not in faith. We're going to respond in fear. What's going to become of us? What's going to become of our people? What's going to become of our families? The people who are in this land that God's promised to give us are too great, and fear overcame their lives. Notice how quickly it turned. They moved from a posture of faith to a posture of fear. I settled this sermon early week before yesterday. But we have seen people move from postures of faith to postures of fear. And maybe even we have done that as well. What then might God want to speak to us today? You see, what this experience teaches me is this truth Fear grows in the soil of uncertainty and unbelief. Fear grows in the soil of uncertainty and unbelief. We all have fears, and our fears always stem from unbelief. You know why someone fears a snake? Because they do not believe that snake is up to any good. Well, you know, why does a student fear taking a test? Because he can't convince himself to believe that he knows enough or has studied enough to be prepared. Here's the, the, the thesis of what we're going to focus on very briefly this morning. The seed of fear in the life of a Christ follower sprouts most often when two things happen. And I'm going to list them to you. They'll be on the screen. Then I'm going to show you how this text reveals that, not just for their lives, but for ours. You will begin to live in fear instead of faith when two things happen. One, when you forget the promises of God to you, and two, when you forget the actions of God for you. 
Okay, go back and look at that. Okay, faith begins to give way to fear when these two things happen in our lives. We begin to doubt the promises of God to us, the action of God for us. Let me show you how that happened in the life of Israel. Let's look at how they lived in fear instead of faith when they forgot the promises of God to them. See, there was a promise, and for time's sake, I'll just quickly give you a summary. I'll quickly give you a, a preacher quickly summary, which means it's not that quick at all, uh, of what happened before Numbers. See, God gave a promise to His people. God gave a promise in the book of Exodus to His people. See, one day his people were fighting a group of people called the Amalekites. And Joshua was the war leader. He was the one who was leading them in that battle. And Moses went up onto a hill. And when Moses held his arms up, Israel was winning. But when the arms of Moses got tired, remember the story? And his arms became tired and he let his arms down, Israel began to lose. And so, and so what happened was that Aaron and her, her was a him. This was before the days of preferred pronouns. Uh, when, when Aaron and her got there, they went under the arms, they held the arms of Moses up so that his arms would remain extended and God gave them the victory. And then after that victory, listen to this promise. This is from Exodus 17, 40. It's not on the screen, but I just want to mention to you. Exodus 17, 14. This is the promise of God prior to numbers. God said, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek, the Amalekites, from under heaven. God says, I'm going to wipe the Amalekites out. When we get to Numbers 13, lo and behold, who do the people of Israel see? It's the Amalekites. But instead of claiming God's promise that He would defeat them, they begin to cower in fear. God had promised them victory over the Amalekites, but they forgot that promise of God, and their forgetfulness led to fear. Instead of moving forward in faith, they cowered in fear. Because fear takes over when you doubt the promises of God to you. It's not insignificant that this event in the book of Numbers occurs in a place called Hebron. And, and Hebron was the, the land where these guys went to spy out. They saw this city, Hebron. And this goes back to a promise that God gave Abram in Genesis chapter 15. And Abram, when God, catch this, when God gave Abram this promise, Abram was in a place called Hebron. And God said in Genesis 15, this specific verses, you'll look it up sometime, verses 13 and 14. God made this promise. He said, Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs. But after 400 years, I will bring them out and they will come out with great possession. Here in Numbers 13, here they are 400 years later, rescued from slavery at the same place where Abram was given this promise. But they have forgotten and in Instead of moving forward in faith, they cowered in fear. 
We live in fear instead of faith when we forget the promises of God. Ladies and gentlemen, the promises, and I'll say this as pastorally as I can, these promises of God are not conditioned upon a pandemic. They are not conditioned upon a hurricane. They are not conditioned upon a president. These promises of God are conditioned and dependent upon God. So when God fails, then you start to worry about it. When God proves to be a liar, then you start to fear. But as long as the promises of God are true, when we cling to them, we experience faith and not fear. But it wasn't just that they forgot the promises of God to them. They forgot the actions of God for them. Now look, I realize they lived in a day before Facebook memories were around. And I understand they could not go back to their Twitter feed and look at all their tweets about what God had done. But we're not talking about that many years that's gone by. We're talking about one, two, at the very most, three years that has passed between them getting out of slavery and marching to this land. Think of what God had just done for them. He had just rescued them from 400 years of slavery. He had just parted a Red Sea. Try doing that to your bathtub this afternoon. See what happens. This is a Red Sea, and they walk through not on mud, they walk through on dry ground. They got to the other side, they were hungry. And so God provided them manna from heaven. Of course, there was a vegan or someone there that didn't like manna, and so God gave them quail. And then they got thirsty. And so God, instead of going to a well, took a rock. And from the rock made water come out. That's the kind of God who was working for them. That was the activity of God for them. But now, all of a sudden, they have forgotten the actions of God in their past. Here, in short, here's here's what it boils down to. The people of Israel magnified the obstacles in front of them, and they minimized the promises of God to them and the actions of God for them. They maximized the obstacles, and they minimized God. What if they just twisted it, they just turned it? If they had minimized the obstacles and maximized God, their fear would have gone, and their faith would have shone through now. Before we utterly condemn them with our finger pointing. Why don't we grab a mirror and place it in front of ourselves? Because we do the exact same thing. How many times have you magnified the obstacles in your life and minimized the promises and power of God? Maybe God brought you here this morning to hear this truth. Your God is so much bigger than the obstacles that you're magnifying in your life right now. You say, Pastor, you don't understand the obstacles I've got in my life. I don't, but I know who God is. 
And I know that there is nothing that is bigger than our God. For you see, there were these spies who had a bad report, but there was one spy in verse 30 of chapter 13 when Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and Caleb said, no, 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 let us go up at once and occupy it. We are well able to overcome it. And Caleb had that attitude not because they had a large army. Caleb had that attitude because he had a big God. Caleb had the same choice that the others faced. But Caleb knew that his God was bigger than their enemies, that his God was able to overcome those obstacles. You see, despite the obstacles, Caleb would not cower in fear. He moved forward in faith. Earlier I told you that fear grows in the soil of uncertainty and unbelief. The opposite of that is also true. If fear grows in the soil of uncertainty and unbelief, faith grows in the soil of assurance. The same obstacles that were in front of the other spies were in front of Caleb, but he chose to have faith in the assurance of God's promises and his actions on behalf of his people. He believed that God would do what he said he would do. So then, Pastor, here comes the the, the question that, that makes us apply the truth of Scripture. How can we follow Caleb's example? How can we make the choice that he made? How can we choose to walk in faith even when when our context is one of fear, and it's not a very deep theological answer. It's not something that they, that they teach at seminary that's a hidden gem of some truth. It's very simple. You continually remind yourself of the promises of God. You continually remind yourself of all that God has done for you in the past. If God has never failed you, don't think for one second He's going to start today. If God has never gone back on his word to you, don't think for one minute he's going to start going back on it today. If God has has never given a promise and then said, psych, if he's never done that to you, he's not going to start doing that today. And if God has ever flexed his muscles in your life, if God's ever showed up in your life, he's not going to choose to sit out today. We have to continually remind ourselves of the faithfulness of God's promises for us and to us and his actions on our behalf. You see, Israel was promised the land, though they had to overcome obstacles to take possession of it. The spies brought back the fruit proving how good the land was, showing it was worth the effort to trust God, yet they did not trust God. And they failed to enter the promised land. Instead, they fought long, extended wars. They disobeyed. They grumbled. They did not trust their God. They trusted in their fears rather than their father. That was their story, and it is our story too. But this experience points us to something greater that gives us great joy. Because ultimately, this narrative is not there to show us if we think we can, we think we can, we think we can. Ultimately, this narrative is there to point us to one person. His name rhymes with Jesus. Who is it? Jesus. We about got it. 
For you see, in this narrative, we are not like Caleb. We're more like the ten spies and the rest of Israel. We were created to love and to know and to trust our Heavenly Father, but we left the land for which we were created, and we willingly headed to a wilderness of sin. We jumped the boat and started rowing downriver back to Egypt. So God intervened. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus left the land for which we were created. And he came and fought the decisive battle against the enemies of God to secure the promised land for us once and for all. And he did that at the cross. Jesus, not us, Jesus is God's victor. And we are the beneficiaries. He alone trusted God. He alone drank the cup of the wrath of God that his Father gave him so that we might know the fullness of the love of God. And then, like the spy who has been to God's promised land and, and brought back its fruit to show us his frightened, unfruitful, unfaithful people, Jesus rose from the dead, crushing the grip of death and the sting of the grave and the enemy. Jesus came to us in enemy territory. He fought the battle on our behalf. And he walked out of the grave the victor so that those who trust in him no longer have to live a life of fear but can live a life of faith. So church, I call you today to remind you that it is time for the people of God to step out in faith, to trust our heavenly father, to magnify, not the obstacles, to magnify the goodness toward us that is in front of us and to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the same, and is set down, seated at the right hand of God. And when we fix our eyes in that direction, you find out that elections don't really matter that much. When you fix your eyes in that direction, you find out that pandemics aren't eternal. When you fix your eyes in that direction, you realize there is only one thing that matters, and that's eternity. Are you prepared for it? You see, in order to live a life of faith, you have to have faith. In Jesus Christ. I can only think of one segment of people who should be very fearful today, and it is those who stand outside the kingdom of God. If there's never been a time in your life when you've confessed your sin to this God, this faithful God, repented and trusted Him, then today, make that decision right where you are. In just a second, we're just going to pause and we're going to be quiet. We're not going to open our Bibles, not going to power up our phones. We're just going to sit still before God for half a minute. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus,
you call out to him in prayer. There are no magic words. You simply in prayer confess your sin, declare your faith, and you will see Jesus infuse your life with a faith that's greater than fear. For those of us who have made that decision, it becomes a little bit easy for us to stay rock solid on that faith. Sometimes we allow the cares of the world to crowd out our faith. It reminds us that we're imperfect. I don't know what baggage you walked in here with that's keeping you from living a life of faith, but I know a good garbage disposal whose name is Jesus. And you can throw your garbage at his feet and he'll take it and he'll work in your life. He'll replace your fear with faith. Right where you are, I'm not going to call a name. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or anything else. I just want you to bow your head right where you are for 30 seconds and do business with God in this time of commitment. If you made a decision for Jesus today, if you need to make a decision, we would love to come alongside you as you make that decision. I'll be at the Next Step desk. It's right out these doors to the right after our service. I'd love for you to come by. Guests love to meet you, but if, uh, for you to come by. But also, if you've been coming for a few weeks, even if you're a member and you've made a decision of your next step, I'd love for you to come by and share that next step with me. Also, remember, as you... 